Hello, everyone. Since this is either a highlight, a standalone book, or the first episode in a series, I'm jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal. We do not read books about real people, and we are not reading historical fiction. The second rule is that we are basing our analyses off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, nor the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. And I'm Robin, and this fortnight on Books That Burn, we are discussing Fledgling by Octavia Butler. For our factions, we have Shori, Wright, Celia, Brooke, Iosif, the Gordon family, and the Silk family, who generally get called the Silks. Our first topic is coercion. So the in this book, the um the vampires are called Inna and it works on kind of like a venom thing and humans who are bitten more than a few times become unable to refuse an inna's bite. And if once they're like um, bonded to that inna, they then, if they stop getting bitten, they will die. Uh, I think that's kind of because in the real world, it's kind of what uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a, um... A funny thing, because one of the things that the Inna Venom does is extend their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very high stakes. You could either yeah. <laughs> live 200 years, or you can die very, very soon if you leave. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so, like, one of the things in the real world is that, like, the ability to withdraw consent, even after it's given in, like, interpersonal things is, like, really, really important. Um. Where if you're like, yeah, I want to do this. And then partway through, you're like, oh, never mind. I no longer want to. Didn't understand what it entailed. And now realize I don't like what it is. Or right. thought I was going to be cool with this. And then I'm not anymore. Like, that ability to withdraw consent. Even, like, a yes is, like, you know, once it's a no, it's a no. Is, like, really important. But in this setup... That's not possible. And in terms of like the author picking that as the setup, um, I thought was really interesting because like within those constraints, like Shori does her best 
with that setup, but it's also like an interesting setup for the author to pick. Um, yeah. Because like a lot of other stuff with vampires, they kind of like, they're, they're, there's often like, you know, the people who are bidden and never know they were bidden, the people who uh, are bidden and die, the people who are bidden and like it. And like, in a lot of vampire stuff, these get to all be like separate categories of people. Um, but in this book, like they don't like if Shori feeds from the same random person more than a couple of times, that person might have been bitten enough times to get addicted to her. And so like, she has to be like really careful with that. I do think it's, I, I should, we should include this in the discussion. Um, the, so, at least some of the, in a, including Shori's direct immediate relatives, uh, have a pretty solid code for giving their humans as much, um, as much autonomy as physically possible. Um, mm-hmm. This includes, like, not restricting them and ordering them around unless it's life or death. This includes, you know, getting explicit consent, informed consent too, because they do uh, make certain that they know what is going to happen and what the consequences are and they have to sign up for it. Um, so it's it's very clear that this is not a, a thing, you know, that's just a thing that they're going to do regardless, if that makes sense. Right. But... Yes, uh, they, it's very, it's it's very clearly a big part of that conversation, because uh, we also get other in a who, including the silks, who kind of treat their humans as just like livestock. I want this one, so I bought it. Kind of an a uh, a treatment of animals. Like I will eat you until I can't anymore because I need to eat. So insert <laughs> like insert pet pig getting butchered analogy here um but it's very clearly like an an ongoing conversation in i whether it's an active conversation or whether it's just that people in the that culture navigate it differently um it, it it's interesting that the author spent as much time and energy on getting those different permutations of how these in it handle feeding into the story as possible including Shori's I don't remember anything so I just kind of did it and then I'm sorry later perspective right I just want to be clear that like reading the book it's not just over and over well you have no you know you've got no understanding no consent no perspective it's it's very it's you were not really told like we're told what the what Shori believes the correct way to handle things is but like we kind of get to see multiple avenues of that from as close to informed consent as physically possible all the way up to just, nah, I don't care. I just, humans are just cattle. Yeah. And like one of the more, to me, one of the more interesting ones along the way, like along that kind of like spectrum of, you know, people like the, the older woman who, um, who, uh, Shori gets, who is just besotted with her. And it's really sweet. Um, with, Everything from her who, like, you know, got, like, she was, like, super happy about this. Like, you know, the 
all the humany bits of her life are are done and she's really happy to just like join them and and be with them and then we have right who you know doesn't want to be there doesn't really like have good options now because shori didn't know enough when she bit him and then we have i believe it's celia and brooke who are um i might be wrong about which names i think it's celia and brooke celia yeah who are um they had like you know given whatever level of consent to someone who wasn't shori but then those in a are dead and they had to switch to being with Shori in order to not die. So, like, their access to the Inna wasn't withdrawn out of, like, spite or malice or anything, but they're still left, like, physically in the same position as someone who had been, like, kicked out or left, you know, until Shori comes along and is able to, like, take care of them. And so it's like, well, you know... You're great, but I'll have to get to know you because I signed up for this life, but I didn't sign up for this life with you, um, which ends up being like a tricky thing to navigate. And I, li- I, I like how there are, there's a bunch of different things, even within the 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 spectrum of I knew what this was and I signed up for it and I want it. Um there's because of the circumstances of this book we get that a lot of that variation right on to our next topic which is memory loss so um there's a couple things that like choosing this does to the reader experience um I want to briefly touch on one of those because uh, there's a thing where it's like very uncomfortable for like a bit until we find out what's actually going on right. with Shori. Um, because of the memory loss, she doesn't know that she's in her 50s. And because in an age very slowly throughout the book, Shori looks like a child. Now, in terms of, like, what that's doing in the story, it's um, doing things with, like, the impulse to deny autonomy to people who look like children or are children, which are two different things. There's, like, more than one, like, real-world condition that can make an adult person, like, look like a child. Um, And so, like, there's some work that the book is doing that is related to that that's a whole like separate thing i just wanted to briefly like because it's very tied to the memory loss i wanted to be like hey that's there that's in there it's an interesting thing and we're gonna focus more on the memory loss but if like one of the common reasons for this book to feel very uncomfortable is because it feels like an adult minor relationship for like a while even though isn't but that might be triggering so we're aware of that that's just not the focus of this particular thing what is the focus is the way the memory loss like in addition to that um because she doesn't like feel like she's a child um herself she uh like as she She doesn't really get memories back, but she starts to get more context 
later that she didn't have when she initially took some actions immediately after the memory loss. This is, you know, everything from, oh no, uh, right? I'm sorry, I didn't know that my venom was going to addict you, addict you and make it impossible for your, you to meaningfully consent to this and or decide to exit, as more, we discussed in our previous topic. More, it's more even, from- it's also, sorry, I didn't realize I had venom. Oops. <laughs> yep. Oh, I didn't know that's what that was. It's everything from that where, like, it it sucks, but everyone involved is, like, alive and around to deal with it. Everything from that to... The first meal she had after she woke up was that she accidentally ate someone she used to know. I mean, at the time, she purposefully ate them because she was very, very hungry. But the accidentally is she didn't know who they were and didn't know that it was someone she knew and cared about previously. And so it it means that, like, it, it means that there's... There's a lot of stuff with grief tied up in the memory loss. Yeah. And one of those things is, like, she feels, like, guilty and bad for at least a little bit, like, that this happened. I don't know, like, the way that the people who can still remember this person and, you know, know that they're missing and want to figure out what happened to them. Like, the the way that they get that answer, like, makes some people upset at her um, for at least a bit, even though she literally didn't know better at the time. I mean, he can be upset at her even if she doesn't know better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. we don't we don't want to no. say that you can't you can't be upset when something happens to you. Um, oh no absolutely it's like it's not like they have to say well blah da da guess we're not gonna mourn this person no no right. no no it doesn't it doesn't work like that um it just it, it, because she doesn't know what she doesn't remember like you know if you're like ah dang I, I don't know where i left my keys you know what you don't remember what you don't remember is where you put down this object that you need and you're trying to figure out where it is she she lost 50-ish years of her life to this. And so there's a lot, there's so much that she's missing that even as people like tell her things about herself, there's going to be so much more where like she wasn't with someone else when it happened or just all this stuff. But she doesn't have... The, we don't, she doesn't know how much she doesn't know. Right. She's just bumping into, like, the edges of that loss and, like, trying to figure out the shape of it. And, like, everyone around her kind of wants her to figure out more of the shape of it because there's kind of this impulse from them of, of wanting to help her get it back yeah and she's a little bit irritated like well like i'm here like i i'm trying to to be who i am now i'm sorry i'm not gonna get that back i'm sorry i ate somebody i used to care about i don't know it's just it's hard to deal with that um 
Yeah, I do think this book does a good job of navigating what the character understands and what we are supposed to understand. We don't know anything before Shori does, but we get enough of other characters explaining things, um, Shori catching snippets of conversation, things like that, that give the audience, I think, a good basis for like figuring out what is happening, if that makes sense. Yeah, like... Like, even at the very start of the book, there's enough information for us to know that maybe she ate somebody that was, like, a person long before, like, she has the context to figure it out. Yeah. Little things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, just, you know, even when she doesn't know what's going on, like, there's enough for us to go, oh, this is a vampire story pretty early. Like, you know, just yes. li- little context things like that where it didn't have to be obvious, but it is. Right. Like, it, it lets the correction be, oh, actually, they're called Inna, not vampires, right. rather than having to explain all of the rules of this brand new uh, creature. Um kind of person that is in the story get to get to operate kind of comfortably and the like all right so we know they're gonna need blood oh actually there's venom involved okay that's cool like i i can roll with this um this deviation on the template rather than uh us i don't know getting surprised by tentacles or something like (laughs) Yeah, it's a very different space. One of the things that I appreciate about this is that um, there's a very involved process of reintegrating into what's left of her community, uh, and like those themes of like reconnecting with past and reconnecting and finding. Making something new out of the pieces of what's missing, which the whole community has to do because like right. a, a lot of a lot of people died. So it, it's not like Shori got memory loss and everyone else is fine. They're they get her this is bittersweetness because like they get her back, but she can't bring them what she brought them before. Because right. those bits are, are gone. And so instead of her being one more piece building into the community and replacing a thing that was missing, they're having to do the work of filling these gaps of everyone who is gone forever and helping Shori navigate the pieces that she's personally missing. to our last topic which is racism so shori is in simple terms shori is black when basically all the other vampires are white um in terms of like just someone just looking at them in the context of this is set in the u.s and just going what are everybody that's what you would think she is just as in it as the rest of them um They did some, like, pretty cool science stuff because they're trying to not die in the sun as often. And so Shori 
um, was genetically modified or created through some process of modification. And I think like also grabbing some genes and stuff from humans was the impression I got to try and have it be that future generations of Inna are less vulnerable to the sun. Yeah. Uh, racist Inna don't like this. Uh, they oh. try to pull, um, they try to pull some interesting things like, oh, no, no, we can't be racist because in a, because we're in our only ever right, our own, sorry, only ever white, <laughs> we don't have racism. Uh, they try that argument. They explicitly refer to it as a human problem. Yeah. You know, we don't have to deal with that because we all look the same. Oh, right. We're here and having a trial because we tried to kill the one who doesn't look the same as us. The one thing I you would... You know, but this has never come up before, so we're not racist, is the argument that they're trying to do. Yeah. And the, the thing that we don't actually get an answer to is whether they would behave the same if Shori still had the genetic modification without not being white. Right. Like, if she'd been genetically modified where her skin is just more resistant, but it wasn't done by altering pigment. Something like that. Yes. Um, uh, or if it didn't involve altering pigment, because we don't actually know the genetics of what they technically did. did um, sorry, altering isn't quite the right word. Didn't result in her having pigment that looked so different from the other Inna. Yes. That, that's the thing. Is yeah. like I, I actually thought that reading this was really interesting because both people arguing, both shori and her group and then the silks and their they don't really have very many friends everyone else um kind of assume i think that the other person is is making a certain logic leap um and technically because everything is from shori's point of view we actually don't know if that's happening so now that being said um it is heavily implied in the same world buildy you should think this kind of way and we'll get that to that with our moral directionality in the wrap up but i thought it was interesting that shori and her uh allies friends people siding with her kind of assume that it's racism or or call that thought process racism for for the similar reasons but the other group is basically just like, we're not racist. This just doesn't count because you're different. <laughs> right. And on a genetic and I, and level, I, on a genetic level, Shori is kind of, I don't want to say she's not fully in a, but like she is different. She has physically been altered. Yeah. And so the question of like, genetically, do you count? Well, is kind of answered by her behavior with her symbiotes and the fact that she still needs them and everything. Like really, literally the only difference with her is that she can walk out in the sun without like dying <laughs> yeah um yep. that's it yeah, like it, this it, is not it, it, it didn't like radically alter anything else um right like if it if it had then maybe right would be able to leave or wouldn't have been bonded or all this other stuff that would yeah. have come up there's, in the there's so many years she's been alive there's so yeah. many markers of like what makes in Anna <laughs> and like she has literally like a, f a quarter of one of them is different <laughs> Um, yeah, and 
but it, I, you know I'm i just, just i thought it was interesting that the way the argument was worded um mm-hmm. like the the silks and their and their opinion like they're not arguing because she's black that's actually not what they're talking about that's not their problem right um it's a visible marker that distinguishes her and so it's pretty easy for them to go ah it's you and like identify her but that's not their problem right their problem is that they don't think she's pure in it and i would just like to say which is still a very if, if a very you- racist argument but well, it's not what I was the gonna same. say if you're if you're if your rebuttal is no 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 I'm not racist I'm just xenophobic in a way that's related to your appearance and or genetics right no it, it's definitely like- it's it's the same logic train but I thought it was interesting that the mm-hmm. silks are not actually arguing just based on her appearance but that mm-hmm. is how Shori and a couple of other people take it they yes. kind of focus in on that and it's like it, I, I thought it was interesting that I'm I'm not and here's to be clear I'm not saying and I'm not saying the book is saying that this is not a, a racist thing I'm saying that the the point of the argument I think gets is different on both sides and they kind of misunderstand each other not that they need to understand each other but like I don't it doesn't seem like they really pick up on each other's talking points at all yeah they're kind of I just think- picking sides and that's it um which I, th- I thought was yeah, interesting I, because so many times in books like this, you have this one person who's right and everybody else makes arguments where it's very clear that they're just, they heard you, but like they don't care, you know? And this book doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think the whole like talking past each other is like definitely meant to be part of the of the racism because it's like, I'm not, they're, the silks are arguing they're they're kind of going no 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 because our our path to get there is different from what a humans would have been that means we're not racist and the others are looking at it and going right but you got there in the exact same you you got to the same place that the humans keep getting to on this exact same issue and at this point, we're in a, like, walks like a duck, talks like a duck, quacks like a duck situation. We don't really want to hear your protest on this. Like, it doesn't... It It is... If, if you're arguing that you took a different path to end up at the exact same destination, and the path is, let's kill Shori, yeah. we don't really want to hear it. <laughs> like, right, right. Absolutely. Well, yeah, absolutely. I just, I thought, I just thought it was interesting. Completely that, reasonably. I just yeah. thought it was interesting that the, the book doesn't make it sound like they're lying, I guess. Right. Like they right. legitimately don't think that that's the thing that they're doing. No, and I, I, I do think that that's very important that like the silks aren't portrayed as lying because they're not like, and, you know, it's it's not like we get something about them secretly treating the different groups no. of humans that they're all equally abusing differently. Right. Like, they're just, they, you know. I mean, they're, you notice that the, the, the inna that treat their humans as, like, people with autonomy and rights and wishes and stuff, mm-hmm. those are the ones who are with Shori on her side. And the ones who treat their, their humans like property and, like, just animals to feed them are not oh that's definitely not an accident like oh i know it's not not. i'm just i'm just pointing it out i'm pointing it out that 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 treatment lines up completely with the thought that oh shori is quote-unquote part human which makes her not me 
and say like you know here in the episode we are not here to talk about american chattel slavery i'm not robin hold on hold on hold on i'm not talking about american chattel slavery and i didn't try to talk about american chattel slavery and i will cut this part out including your response because that's not what i said and if you heard that that's not what i said i was gonna make a new point but fine okay then don't bring up american chattel slavery full stop if we're not going to talk about it then don't wanted to acknowledge that that is a thing that the by literally having it be that this group is treating their humans like cattle which is a thing that we said earlier and is i think true like that is right which is explicitly why i said cattle and not slaves that was important the you bringing it up like that is you say it put it in context makes it sound like you are saying that that's what i said and it is not is there a different way that I can approach this to bring up that that's definitely like a thing that it's commenting on? No, because then you're then you're you're comparing the two inherently. Okay, fine. Like it doesn't work to say I'm not going to do this and then do it. <laughs> that doesn't actually work. Okay, put whatever note you need to put. All right. Do you have any other points, or should we move on in this? Um. I thought that the, I do definitely think that some of the the language that the inner are using is meant to echo some like real world, here's where I'm not racist justifications. And I don't think that's an accident. And that's definitely part of how they're talking past each other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Video games are a unique medium. They can tell stories. Immerse us in strange, fantastic worlds. Blur the very boundaries of our reality. But at the end of the day, video games are fun. Whatever fun is to you. I'm Jeff Moonen. And I am Matt A.K.A. Stormageddon. And on Fun and Games, we talk about the history, trends, and community of video games. It's a celebration of all the games we play and all the fun we find within them. And there's so many more games out there. So we hope you'll share in that conversation with us. Fun and Games podcast with Matt and Jeff. Find us on certpov.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And happy gaming. On to the wrap-up and ratings for Fledgling. For our first topic of coercion, uh, what are you thinking for the gratuity rating? Backstory, off-screen, mild, moderate, or severe? It feels pretty moderate. Uh, We have a fair amount of description. Um, Mm -hmm. but also the descriptions are not explicit or, you know, overly gratuitous. Yeah. It, the way the coercion impacts people is discussed at great length. But it's also kind of treated as though it's, um, not coercion, (laughs) I guess. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. It's tricky. It's like... They calmly talk about it and make sure you know about it, but also it's so pervasive that it's, at a certain point, it's kind of impossible to conduct their lives constantly tiptoeing around it. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it, it's moderate. Um, and it does. There's enhancing factors that make it different from how it doesn't neatly map onto real world coercion just because of some complicated things that 
wouldn't apply to like real people going through the same thing, which I think helps it be a moderate rating. Agreed. Uh, the memory loss. Okay, that is... <sighs> so memory loss as a topic is always really tricky in terms of the gratuity rating because yeah. you're talking about generally speaking, if the main character is the one who has the memory loss, as it is in this case. It, it's tricky because if you come in, if the reader enters the story when the memory loss has already happened, we're not brought along with the loss. And we don't know how much she now doesn't know. And she can only find, like, the edges of what's missing. Which is, again, one of the really scary things about memory loss. Right. And to me, that makes this somewhere between moderate and severe. Yeah, I think this is one of those, your mileage may vary things, because to me, this seemed mild. <laughs> um, but I don't have memory loss trauma the way Robin does. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, yep. For the racism, um, it's uh, like the plot hinges on it. The plot hinges um, on it, but it's also so it's not mild. It's not mild. It's not gratuitous. Yeah, I think I'm comfortable with saying moderate in terms of like the, the gratuity of like the specific things happening. Um, we'll get to the care rating later. Right. Um, yeah, I, I'm okay with moderate. I would say that this is another where your mileage may vary. <laughs> um, yeah. The character is not harmed because of it. I'll put it that way. It's also, I, th I would say it's a little heavier on the in-universe equivalent of microaggressions. Yes. I think that's how I would Agreed. put it. Um, the... The ones where if you know, you know, and if you don't know, you're like, wait, why was that a problem? But it's definitely a problem. Um, okay. Then are the traumas integral, interchangeable, or irrelevant for the coercion? All right. Sorry. Grimoire just moved three stone blocks yep. to get into the room. She's a powerhouse. All right. You've earned it. You've earned it, Grimoire. <sighs> okay. All right. That's what I was saying. Uh, the trauma, integral, interchangeable, or irrelevant for coercion. I... I would argue interchangeable. Yeah. Like, it didn't have to be this. It needed um, something, but it didn't have to be this. Yeah. I'm definitely good with that. Uh, the memory loss. Integral or interchangeable? Like, I feel... I think interchangeable because... Spoiler alert, we are recording this uh, a little way after doing the episode. We had talked mm -hmm. at the time about other ways that something else could have been this. <laughs> yeah, um, like, especially when we don't see a lot of the events she can't remember and like a lot of different things it means that as a reader our experience of it 
the book could end up looking mostly like this if the trauma had been a little different. I'm sure for the character, it would be a completely different experience, but the right. structure of the book right. lends itself towards this being interchangeable. And then the racism. Racism, I think, is integral. It affects most of how characters who are not in like our core group of people affect her when i say characters what i really mean is other vampires uh yes we the humans it doesn't really matter or it's dictated by the vampire um i would Mm -hmm. call it integral because i think the initial events would not have occurred without it and our story would not have progressed this way without it i think it shapes most of the book and most things that that this could have been replaced with would make the book nonsensical, I think. Yes. All right. Was the trauma treated with care for the coercion? It's... I I think as soon as you have, like, actual mind control involved with coercion, um, the care rating gets very weird very quickly i would be okay with enough Mm -hmm. because i don't think it's an outright yes but i also don't think it was a no either yeah i think part of what keeps it from being yes involves the way shori first initiates coercion unintentionally I think that's part of what keeps it from being a yes. And for the memory loss, I, there were, there were a lot of points where rather than a, a direct transcript of everything that was said, I mean, there was a bunch of that, but there was also like a description of like, they'd had, you know, they, If I'm remembering correctly, there were bits where, like, you know, they have this more in-depth conversation that the reader isn't dragged through, where Shori's, like, being told about the things that she's missing. Like, there are a lot of conversations that she has as part of this memory loss, part of other people trying to help mitigate it, um, that are just summarized. And... I think that definitely influences the care rating because an entire book of, well, don't you remember this? Nope. Is like, that would get weird. (laughs) And it, it stays away from that. I don't know. Memory loss is really, really weird for the care rating. What are your thoughts? Um, I think for, I think for memory loss, I just don't, really have an opinion because that doesn't really that's not a trauma that really like affects me to read yeah so I don't really I don't really know I think that in terms of the memory loss um affecting her sense of self and also the tension it creates between who other people are telling her she is and who she feel like feels like she is in these new moments after the loss has already happened. I think it does a really good job of showing Mm -hmm. that. 
Okay. Because that's like that's like a particular feature of it, especially with like an acute instance like this. Is everybody shows up to be like, hey, like, hey, don't you remember this? And it's like, no. And also, <laughs> I don't even know if you're lying to me. I don't have anything right. to back that up to figure that out. Um I I I do think this is enough. It it does okay. go through enough of those particulars. I don't know, it might even be a guess, but it's at least enough, and your mileage may vary. For the racism. This one is hard. We had a discussion about this before. Because there is clearly care taken. Mm-hmm. Um, both with regards to protecting the reader and also for the character. Like, there are other characters in the scenes who are actively trying to be there for Shori and protect Shori and shield Shori from getting this. Um, I don't think it's a no, and I don't think it's an outright yes, because I think... I think I think there are enough moments that are in there that are meant to make you the reader fully fully in that situation that if somebody has that particular trauma I don't think it will just be an outright yes. Yeah. Or at least I don't think we can decide it's an outright yes. Yeah. I I think the amount of time devoted to not letting the racist characters pretend that it's something else Mm. um to me that intentionality makes me think that this is enough um but yeah i i wouldn't be able to say that it's an outright yes okay i'm i'm all right with enough but also your mileage will probably vary yep All right. All right. The moral directionality. Just as a reminder, our options are clear, muddy, and tangled. Clear is this very obvious. We know how we, the audience, are supposed to feel about the character's actions. Muddy is where eh, you're kind of not sure, or maybe characters can seem to be you know, running multiple ways and tangled is when either you think everyone is right or everyone is wrong or it's just confusing. So I I think this was very clear. Um, I think early, I think part of what the antagonists are trying to do is make us think that it's tangled. But it's tangled only mm-hmm. so much as you think that it's fine to just be racist. (laughs) Um, Well, but that's if you're only considering the racism. Yeah, I I think that the book for that's a major thing. Um, It is. But the book also deals with those themes of non-consent when it comes to vampirism. That's a good point. Like, it kind of paints all of the vampires with this brush of... It doesn't matter if they consented once because the instant they consent, they now can't ever again. No, they have no power to withdraw that consent, which I think pushes it maybe over into tangled territory. Okay. But specifically because of the way that vampirism works in this book. That's a good point. Yeah. Because on on the. Oh, yeah. Okay. That they're. I. 
Okay, in that light, I would say, yes, overall, the moral directionality is tangled, but it is less tangled for some of the some aspects of it. But yeah, we the the moments where we have racist characters, it is pretty clear, actually. Yeah. Um, But the concept, the premise of the book, which is vampires that can force you to be their thrall um i think it's pretty tangled because the the big overarching the entire book question is is it right for vampires to take humans because once they do they can't say no but also the vampire has to live (laughs) like right that's that's the big question is i'm taking your freedom but otherwise i will die who is right well, if the human can sense, okay, but they can't continually. All right, so we're back to who is, you know, what what direction does this go? So I I think in I think because of that, because that is the entire book and not just part of it, I think that that makes it tangled. That's my that's my thought. No, that that makes sense. I I agree on that. Um. All right. For the trauma and aftermath for the point of view. Uh, as you mentioned, one of the traumas is memory loss. And so technically, we don't actually have Shori's point of view for right. that, just because of how that trope works, but or for how that um, trauma works. I mean, we, we could have hypothetically. There, there are ways to do that. Right. No, the starting point not. that this chose in the narrative wasn't that you're right we have read other books that had memory loss that is depicted um most recently was one of the one of the brooklyn bruja books um for but for this the trauma and aftermath like it's it's all shory's perspective i don't think we ever cut in with anybody else's right it's all all shory all right, for the trope spotter, we have the symbiote. This one is really, really straightforward. Uh, the Inna needs symbiotes in order to be alive, and the symbiotes, as a trade-off, get long lives and health. Yeah, uh, that's that's how symbiotes work in this one. Uh, what was your favorite non-traumatic thing about the book? Uh, you go first. Okay, uh, I liked how most of the book, like especially like most of the second half to a third is the trial tribunal thing like Mm. it's it's not there are moments of action it's not an action heavy book and a lot of it like i said is that slow like not letting these characters call what they did something else and while there's like trauma associated with that, the actual like, yeah, we're doing a court case. Like I really love those scenes in books and I liked this one here. What about I you? I think my favorite non-traumatic thing would have to be the family groups that the thralls, the humans create. I really like that they explicitly become family to each other and care for each other and support each other and you know Mm -hmm. monetarily physically emotionally they become a cohesive unit 
And I, I think that that's really cool. Yeah. Well, uh, that's it for our discussion of fledgling. And we will catch you in a few weeks. We shifted to twice monthly episodes, so we're no longer fortnightly. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for joining us and, uh, we'll, uh, see you soon. All music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. Our transcriptionist is Heather. Follow her on Twitter at MamaDragon20. We're proud members of the Certain Point of View Network. Find all the CPOV shows at www.certainpov.com. You can contact us on Twitter at Books That Burn or by email at Books That Burn at Yahoo.com. Please consider leaving us a tip at Kofi.com slash Books That Burn or becoming a monthly supporter on Patreon.com slash books that burn all patrons get access to our upcoming book list bonus content including the second half of all interviews and will receive a one-time shout out to get updates on our written reviews recent episodes and newly completed transcripts subscribe to our fortnightly newsletter at buttondown.email slash books that burn you can find us on apple Podcasts, pandora spotify or wherever you get your podcasts please leave us a review wherever you're listening this helps people to find the show thanks for listening we'll be back in two weeks